From architecture to painting and sculpture, literature to live music and theater, Radio 111 presents Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza with The Desert Scene, your connection to culture and entertainment in the desert cities. Here's Bonnie and Brian. And welcome to The Desert Scene on Radio 111. Uh, beautiful fall in the, in the desert. We love that. It's fabulous and a lot going on. I mean, some good stuff. We're going to have some great guests a little bit later. But, you know, I know it's like the hottest story, and I know you've talked about it on your other show, Brian, but we've got to talk about this horrible shooting with Alec Baldwin on the movie set of Rust. I mean, there's, you know, a thousand questions as to how this could have happened. No, you're right. So just because I did it last <laughs> <laughs> I know you just talked about it. I, I did it last time, so I'll give a quick summary. That same day on October 21st, which is a couple of days ago, and if you're listening to this, you know, a week later, a week ago or so, you know, that's the date, October mm-hmm. 21st. Mm-hmm. So seven crew members of the film's camera crew left the show, left the set in, in a walk- protest. Yeah, yeah, because of the lack. And this is a quote. We cited everything from a lack of payment for three weeks, uh, taking our hotels away despite asking for them in our deals, lack of COVID safety on top of that, poor gun safety, poor on set safety, period. So. The gun had also been missed. I didn't mention this last mm-hmm. hour, but misfired three times before three before. It's a miracle. No one got killed there. Mm. And so the seven crew members left. And then six hours before the incident happened, four non-union members came, were hired off the street, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it's Santa Fe, you know, if you hired people off the street in Santa Fe, it ain't like Hollywood, you know, yeah. you know, how much experience, you know. Right. And then. So basically, the assistant uh, director, Dave Howells, basically selected one of the guns and gave it to Ali Baldwin. And so Alec Baldwin basically called it like a cold gun, which means that it was empty. Mm-hmm. And so what had happened was he shot the gun at 1.50 p.m. And s- the details are still a little iffy. Mm-hmm. He fired the gun once killing cinematographer Helena Hodgkins in the chest by shooting her in the mm-hmm. chest and director Joel Surza was not killed but was shot Injured. around the shoulder area taken to the hospital but he's, the, uh, he's out now yeah, right the next day he was yeah, taken out yeah. so October 22nd which was yesterday and so they conducted an interview an investigation and they're conducting an investigation right now the Santa Fe County Police Department The movie production, Rust Movie Productions, is doing their own internal review. Mm -hmm. The New Mexico Occupational Health and Safety Bureau is also investigating. They should, yeah. Yes. And the IATC Local 44 sent out an email, IATC being the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. Mm -hmm. Their local division said that it was a single live round that was cause of the incident, and they have not determined anything yet. And the Santa Fe county uh magistrate has put out a search warrant so multiple parties jumping on this yeah and you know i people have heard my thoughts let's get on your thoughts well now so they it's they have determined for a fact that it was a live round that was in the gun uh the i i'd see the the i'd see the Mm -hmm. you know the Union, Union, yeah. 
determined that, not the police department. At this point mm-hmm. of this current time... Police on, haven't announced that. They yeah. haven't announced anything. You know, of course, this has been on the news. I mean, Rachel Maddow, everyone's had it. I had experts on, gun ballistics experts and movie industry. And there was one gentleman on, I think it was Rachel last night, and he had a gun. He had a gun and he was showing you. And he said a, a, a prop gun on a movie set is supposed to be altered. They alter it so a live round cannot fit into the chamber. So there's no way. So so obviously that gun was not properly altered. That's one issue. Um, why was there a live round in there? I mean, why? And who checks that? And Eric said, now I guess, I don't know if one bullet, but he said, if you have a, a bunch of bullets in a gun, it's heavy. Lead is heavy. And you should be able to tell that when you, someone hands you a gun. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's just so many safety precautions that weren't taken and then you have to I mean you were, Alec, Alec Bob was not only an actor but he's a producer on the movie and you have to he bears well I think liability for two issues number one did he look at the person that came to the gun and double check hey is this cold let's check it let's check it and what was he pointing at why was he pointing the gun at this cinematographer or close enough to her that she was shot that's what I want to know that, and it's too many mystery too much mystery yeah. around it so far that I I would I'm even scared to say anything right now because mm-hmm. I'm worried that I I'm personally worried, you know, of course all this is allegedly. I'm yeah. worried about the circumstances and I'm and I'm just in general like concerned because I don't want to misrepresent the situation. Yeah. And I also think that you're right. Alec Baldwin has some responsibility. Some responsibility, yep. And you know, I was, you know, I was kind of caught with my pants down the other day because I kept saying, you know, this kind of reminds me of Vic Morrow and John mm-hmm. Landis, where John mm-hmm. Landis, you know, should have heard the concerns of the hol- helicopter man when mm-hmm. Vic Morrow died. Mm-hmm. But that I think that's a much more different situation. Well, obviously. this is more like Bruce Lee, Bruce right? Lee, yeah. Because now that was Brandon was that a li- Brandon Lee? I'm sorry. Was that a live round that accidentally was in the gun? Was that well, a live round that killed him? Yeah, 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 live round. Brandon Lee and Brandon Lee's situation was a negligent crew. The yeah. crew did not test the gun properly. Mm-hmm. And Michael Massey, who I will say no responsibility in that case because he shot the gun trusting the crew. It said it was a cold yeah. gun and it's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and people, you know, and he shot the gun killing Brandon Lee right then mm-hmm. and there and Brandon Lee's family has talked has spoken out saying mm-hmm. that this was a horrible tragedy and nobody nobody should die on set yeah yeah nobody should be killed by a gun on set and so the the thing is that Alec Baldwin he's a producer i think this is a case where he has the power as a star and the producer that once he saw the people leave the set like the walkout he should have been like you know what Let's figure out what's going on. Like, or, let, you know, take a day off or whatever and, and get some people in here that know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And like, take, yeah, exactly. Take a day off. Like, you know, I, this is going to sound like I'm being presumptuous here. You know, he's getting paid a salary for this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Take your salary, save the movie some money budget wise. Cause I know it costs every day. Don't, to, but don't cut financial corners on safety. Yeah. Yeah. I agree on that because I think that I know that it's a s- independent movie. Mm-hmm. Do not, do not cut when you cut when someone's it's a life or death situation yes, exactly. the other thing that I, I'm interested to find out I'm sure it hasn't been revealed yet is how did this gun 
he apparently pointed it out, the cinematographer, close enough. And then how did then also uh, shoot the, the director who's okay? How did that happen? That's what I want to know. That I'm trying to figure out too. Like I, I assume that maybe the director was right behind the cinematographer. And it went and through her, I guess. Because I like, you know, a gun's going to travel a bit, you know, yeah, like there's yeah. a reason why they tell you do not shoot in the air. Yeah. Yeah. Cause and, it goes up and then comes down and hits someone sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And also, and this is a case where two, what, what happened? Like, is there's so many ways you could have prevented this because like you don't even need an actual, you can use CGI. That's what they were talking about. A lot of movies don't even use prop guns. That's the shot is computer generated because that's, and Oh, mayor of East Ham. They talked about that on Rachel last night. That, that, sh- that series that I watched, it was all computer generated, all the gunshots, all of them for that reason. And it's not like it's not like there is a, it's not like it's going to be super expensive. Like if Alec Baldwin said, you know what, I'm going to give some of my salary, or anybody in general said, you know what, we got to get make sure the safety is the we got the on. people know what they're doing and everyone's checking everything out. That's that's should be the number one priority. Yeah. And also, if your movie is good enough, even if the you let's say you use a completely fake gun like mm-hmm. made out of wood, mm-hmm. and you put like a CGI effect of mm-hmm. the gun shoot and all that, it. If your movie's good enough, no one cares. Yeah, no one cares how true. fake it looks. And it, right. in fact, they might even say you, you at least did what you could. Yeah, to save your actors and your peep crew. Yeah, from and, getting shot. And I'm going to say that now because obviously, like this is a situation where we have so many precautions and so many things like computers, everything f- different from 1993. You, you know what I would like to see? I wonder if out of this, I mean, you hope something good comes out of it, that some law is passed or what law or rule or whatever regulation that bans prop guns on all, all movie sets for this reason. Oh, yeah. Because you know, uh, all computer generated. And and obviously, like, you know, maybe do some tax incentives or figure out some way to help out, like, maybe an independent movie studio to, like, get computer generated mm-hmm. or at least... Mm-hmm have specifically like or figure out some way to perfect the prop gun where it's not gonna kill what that, that that's what i don't understand because this expert like, like again last night said a true prop gun is altered so a bullet cannot fit into the chamber and they a real bullet and they do that on purpose so why was this gun not altered that's what i want to know that's what i want to know too and also just the fact that the crew walked out in the morning you know, it should have been a red flag. Yeah, that to me is a strong, strong indicator that uh, Alec Baldwin should have said something, or yeah. somebody should say something. Not just Alec Baldwin; the director should have said something. And you know what? The cinematographer, that uh, Helena Hodgkins. You know, I feel so bad for her family and mm-hmm. for her too, yeah. of course. But she could not have stopped the film because it's her job to actually just film and yeah. do that. Yeah. But somebody in charge should have figured out. You know what? With the strike, the Yahtzee strike that almost happened, th- and these people walking out, we need to stop filming and get this to figure out what's f- going on. Figure here. it yeah. out, and just and also if a gun misfired three times, get rid of it. Hello, that's that's a hello. That's like a you know three times of anything is a pattern. Three oh, yeah. times something happens, you need to <laughs> you need to throw it out. Change direct. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting <laughs> different results. So you're going to keep using a gun that misfires all the time. It's it's horrifying because like that gun should have been the moment they should the have second, gotten rid of it. The second time, yeah, get rid of it. Yeah, third time, send it back to Hollywood or yeah. send it anywhere. Throw it in the garbage, th- melt it down, whatever. F- figure it out because that should not have been used no. because that clearly killed a life. And honestly, like. I, you know, to be Alec Baldwin right now is not 
something I would want to be because that yeah. is because not only, you know, he does hold some partial responsibility in my opinion, in Absolutely. my opinion, but also just the fact personal that guilt, personal guilt. And <sighs> this is sort of, and I know that like, I, again, compared to John Landis, you know, at least with Ali Baldwin, I do believe that there's actual guilt. there. Oh, and remorse. Oh, he's remorse. made statements. I think if it, but, but, and he has on two levels, not just the actor who fired the gunner, but as a producer, he yeah. holds a lot of responsibility for the whole set and the whole atmosphere because he, you know, had, was in charge basically. And also just in general, like, you know, again, rest in peace, Helena Hodgkins, yeah. you know, and I, I hope if her, there's going to be lawsuits. Oh, there's absolutely. There's no question. No and, question. And if anything, this movie, there are three ways this movie I hope it never out. comes out. <laughs> I hope they just stop it. No, it needs that movie. Yeah. If they could not, if a, if they could not keep the movie safe, if yeah. they couldn't afford to give their crew members a hotel room, if you can't afford any of that, why do you have? They shouldn't be shooting a movie. Yeah, that's what yeah. I, was, I was telling somebody. If you can't afford basic necessities for your crew, why are you making a movie? Yeah. What? What? Yeah. What's going on? And it's an independent movie, but how independent is it if Alec Baldwin's involved well, in right. it? Yeah. Because. If you can afford Alec Baldwin as a producer and as an actor, then he should be able to connect with a big studio. Yeah, I and, would think. And I honestly think this movie, if it does not, if it's probably not going to get finished. I I, don't, I hope it doesn't. And if anything, if it does get finished, it's going to have a big cloud looming over it. Mm -hmm. And you know what? You that's going to be not only some bad press mm -hmm. because it it's gonna backfire it's just yeah. gonna backfire yeah. it's not like the crow where everybody wanted to see brandon lee's final performance yeah. and that was a horrible accident and the family encouraged it this is a case where i don't even think wanting to see her find this cinematographer's final movie is going to be enough no. for me to watch uh, it no. i probably won't no. no i won't actually all right we'll be back with more and have some happier stuff later on in the desert team in just a bit The Desert Scene on Radio 111. Cultural events and the people who make it happen in the desert cities with Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza. We're back on the Desert Scene, so we may touch on that later, but let's talk a little bit. Let's find some other entertainment news. Anything happier than that? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that, well, did you hear about downtown Pond Springs opening that park? Oh, that's great. Yes. Very so, exciting. So in downtown Pond Springs before the Village Fest, Funny enough, on the same day, the same day as the incident, mm -hmm. um, there was an actual like uh, event pre-Village Fest, and it's a downtown park. Have you been to it yet? I have no? not. No. no. So there's a park in downtown Pond Springs, and I think it's pretty cool. Like, where I, is it exactly? So it's sort of near the at the intersection of the museum, the museum almost like right here. The Pond Springs Art Museum. Okay, yeah, that's great. Yes. That's great. So basically, they had the celebration where they had an ABBA tribute band, mm -hmm. and also ABBA released a new song this week. Um, I've, I think it's called "Just a Notion." It's this ABBA song that they were supposed to release in the '70s, and now they released it. So, I was going to ask you, like, I know we talked about it earlier a couple episodes ago, but what are your opinions on ABBA? So, so my question is first is. The song that they released was recorded years and years yeah, ago? Yeah, yes. Okay, and what? 
do we know why it took so long to release it? <laughs> they actually, they were asking Benny and Bjorn and they said, no idea. We forgot. We forgot. We forgot the, <laughs> we forgot the reason why okay. this movie is in there. Yeah, I like so, ABBA. I like their harmonies. I mean, I, I th- thought they did some great. And I think we talked about this before. One of my favorite songs is Fernando. Oh, yeah. Because it's just very musically. It's just a very catchy song. Yeah. You know? And you might be asking, wait, what does this relate to the downtown park? It's because yeah. there was an ABBA, ABBA tribute, tribute band. band. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where, like, I loved Fernando because it's one of those songs where, like you said, it's like, I think it's much more musically heavy yeah. than their other songs. Like, mm-hmm. One of Us is pretty heavy. But it's weird because, like, if you don't like the way ABBA sounds, Fernando's pretty different mm-hmm. because Dancing Queen and, and actually even Dancing Queen's pretty unique mm-hmm. sounding. But, like, some of the ABBA songs, you know, they have a certain sound to it, a certain yeah. vibe. But they they have great. I mean, if you're if you're a singer, if you're musically inclined, no, or an, if you're a singer, great harmony, just great harmonies. That's one of the best things about the group. Now I got to. I know we talked about age and all that earlier with music. How? What's the appropriate age for someone to sing Dancing Queen? I think that's one of those songs where anybody can sing that at any age. I don't think it makes any difference. It's just a fun song. You that's know? true. That's true. I know that we talked about how like. It, for some reason if I saw like if on stage I saw like a 20 something year old play Annie I wouldn't I, yeah. I would walk out well the dancing <laughs> I think this song is more we're singing about this 17 year old girl that's dancing we're not saying oh, yeah. I'm the 17 year old girl that's dancing and so. also it's one of those things where it's also like just about the night out being able mm-hmm. to go out for the evening and have fun and have fun. dance around the music yeah and so. also ABBA is one of those bands that I'm gonna be honest they do breakup songs way too well like they did songs like knowing me knowing you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one of us and the winner takes it all yeah that's that was a good song too and the, i think the two of those were produced during the divorce and mm. i was watching like a documentary about how they said that one of the early signs of their relationships falling apart was the song knowing me knowing you because they realize, you know what, if we can sing a song about breakups so easily with the line, breaking up is never easy, I know, mm-hmm. but I have to go, mm-hmm. then that's a lot, that's a, how do I put it this way? That's a, that's a sign mm-hmm. that the relationships mm-hmm. are not going to go anywhere. And now we're, uh, and I know, you know, that's not, were, uh, were they two married couples? Or yeah. just, they were two married couples. Married okay. couples. And then they got divorced and they did produce two final albums, mm-hmm. but the problem was never that they the breakup wasn't caused by the divorce. It just became a case of ABBA just never recorded music again Mm -hmm. because they went on their separate paths. Like Mm -hmm. Frida wanted to do her music career. Agneta wanted to do hers. And Benny and Bjorn went on to do chess. Yeah. And honestly, there's going to be a production, a local production. I forgot which company is doing it of Mamma Mia. And what are your thoughts on Mamma Mia? Have you, you know, I've never seen it. I, I've never seen the movie. I've heard it's, you know, it's really fun. I would like to see it one of these days. Actually, I think some, I think somebody gave me, I think I have the DVD. I'll have to watch it one of these days. I just <laughs> haven't watched it yet. It's one of those things where, like, they try really hard to put all the ABBA songs mm-hmm. to connect them, but it just, it just sort of seems kind of weird because... the movie even the movie with its big budget is like community theater it's Mm -hmm. like a community theater of like someone once said to me it's like wine moms enjoying ABBA songs and doing karaoke (laughs) (laughs) okay that's an interesting description yeah and someone said you know I love it. I I want to see my mom singing "Dancing Queen." And now, isn't Pierce isn't Pierce Brosnan in that? Yeah. And and, and I, I think does he? Say, I think I read something that he sings it badly. That's a couple of people sing badly in it. 
I don't know. Yeah, that, that okay. that's the reason why a lot of okay. people like it's more of a cult success in my opinion because mm-hmm. Mama Mia, they, you know, if you ever feel like being a musical artist, let's say you don't have the greatest voice, you go watch Mama Mia and you'll feel better. <laughs> Okay, interesting yeah. take on it. What else, what else we got? Let's find another entertainment story that's oh lord, we not have, too, not too. Uh, we have a lot, but all, some of these stories. Oh, Carol Baskin's in her own TV series. Oh no, t- no what kind of series? Like Just a documentary a, on her life. Yeah, she decided I'm going to uh. take back the narrative, and that's one thing I wanted to say real quick was that one because I know that the other news stories. They they deserve a whole segment, but we have guests. Yes, we have guests. Coming up on next segment, Clifford Bell, my buddy, producer, singer, and I just uh, filmed the other day uh, a virtual concert, virtually yours. He's going to talk about that and some other stuff in just a bit on the Desert Scene. Continue with the desert scene on Radio 111. Here they are. And we're back on the desert scene, and we're now joined by my good friend and very talented uh, producer, singer, uh, all around good guy, Clifford Bell. Hey, Clifford, how are you? Hey, good morning. How are you? Good. So, uh, virtually yours is up online. On you, I looked, watched it last night. Uh, I, I really was happy with it. Were you happy with the f- final product? Yeah. Did you get to watch yourself? I, you came I, out- you were fabulous. Oh, thank you. I sure did. It was really fun. So tell people about, you've been doing this, uh, this has been, I don't know how many of these you've done, but you this started back when the pandemic hit, right? You doing these virtual shows? Yeah, about six months into the pandemic, my friend Michael Collum and I, my, my friend Michael Collum, who's a great pianist, called me and said, I'm going out of my mind, stir crazy, being alone in my house with nothing to do. And we we were both used to doing a lot of shows. You know, I'm mm-hmm. a very prolific producer. And, mm-hmm. and before the pandemic, I would do three to four or five shows a month. And so all of a sudden to not have any music in our lives. So we, we, we said, how can we do something safe that would be fun? So Michael has a nice house uh, mm-hmm. here in Hollywood. And so we... Uh, pushed the grand piano to the screen porch and uh, started having backyard concerts with no audience. And we filmed them and then put them online. And we did three, we did three of them over the last year with great, great performers like Julie Garnier, who was mm-hmm. in Come From Away on Broadway and Les yeah. Mis and uh, Rena Strober, who was in Fiddler on Broadway and Les Mis and uh, Mary Bogue, who's a really popular jazz singer around town. And, mm-hmm. Uh, just really great, great, great performers. And then uh, this last few months, Michael bought a beautiful house in in Rancho Mirage. It is gorgeous. And we thought, well, let's do one in Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. So I called two of my favorite people in Palm Springs, you and Glenn Rosenblum. And uh, we did one last weekend, and it was so, 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 so fun. And we just got posted last night. Yeah, and so what kind of, are you tracking, do you track the views? Are you getting lots and lots of views? 
Well, it's YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, so they it shows you how many views there are. But I didn't put it up till like midnight last night, and mm-hmm. I, I think when I checked, there were only like ten. Yeah. But but it you know I literally put it up at midnight, so I don't think people have had a chance to see it yet. Yeah. But anybody that wants to find it on YouTube, they can look up virtually yours, Michael Clifford, Bonnie Glenn, Ava, and Charlotte. That's how it's titled. Okay. So you can find it easily. So what what else are you working on? I know because things are starting to open up. So have you got a lot of stuff in the in the works at this point? Well, the, you know, the main thing I've been doing over the last year cuz we've just been rehearsing until recently we finally 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 got to perform it. Uh, a, a woman I've worked with for many years, probably 15 or so years, uh, used to perform in a nightclub act a lot, as part of a singing group behind Debbie Reynolds. Hmm. And um, her name is Lois Vagon, and I've I've done probably ten major shows with her. She's a really talented, wonderful woman. And this year during the pandemic, we said, "Well, let's finally do that Debbie Reynolds tribute show." So we put together a show called "You Are My Lucky Star: My Life Working with Debbie Reynolds," and uh, we got Debbie's son Todd Fisher, mm-hmm. and Carrie's brother. Uh, and he, Lois and he are friends from, you know, 40 years ago. And Todd supported us completely, offered us film clips and photos and everything. And we put the show together and then performed it at Catalina Jazz Club a few weeks ago. And that mm-hmm. was the very first thing since March of last year that I was able to do in a club for a paying audience, yeah. for real people, a full crowd. Yeah. Because everything I've done for the last year or so has either been private rehearsals or filming without an audience. Mm -hmm. So it was so fun to be back having a real show. What and what did you have a pretty big crowd? And I mean, people are now so desperate to get out. Yeah, yeah, packed, 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 packed. We we were smart because we did a a a brunch, which you know Mm -hmm. the Debbie Reynolds name sort of brought an older crowd. So we did a brunch, and it was packed. Yeah, and. um, and, you know, and and I'm excited to say we're going to do it in Palm Springs for, uh, or I guess you call it Palm Desert. We're doing it at the Arthur Newman uh, Theater at Jocelyn Center for the Les Michaels yes. Cabaret Series. Yes. Uh, Thanksgiving weekend. We're the Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend, November 28th. Excellent. Yay. That's... I believe it's at 3 o'clock. The way Les works those things, mm-hmm. the doors open at 2 to get your seats and then... The show starts at three, mm-hmm. and and he asks for them to be about an hour and fifteen minutes long yeah. at the most. Yeah, so, yeah. So you're t- doing one of those, aren't you? I am. Yeah. I, in I got into the tail end, so mine's in uh, April, May. I think May. Yeah, he's extended it because more people want to do so. I think I'm May. I forget the date. Second weekend of May, I think something like that. All right. Well, maybe if I'm lucky, I'll be able to work on that with you. Yeah, it's called Torch. I, I did it um, once at the Palm, Palm Desert um, Library Series, Sunday Sounds, with the, with the late um, Brian Miller, uh, God rest his soul. Oh, but he gosh. was fabulous. I was so lucky to work with him. But so yeah, this, I'm not, you know, I knew Brian for 35 years. Yeah. We were very good friends. Yeah. I loved Brian. Yeah, wonderful Love guy. But this, the, the one I'm doing in May, I'm going to do with um, Mark Caney. And I'm really excited about oh, that. Oh, great. I he's love him. Fabulous. He really is. So, so I want to ask you, Clifford, what makes, and I may have asked you this before, but it's been a long time, what makes, in your opinion, a good cabaret producer? What, what, mm. what skills do you have to have to be good at that? Well, you know, I'll tell you, the thing that I feel is my greatest asset as a cabaret producer 
is that I'm highly individualized. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a lot of times when people are in show business and do a lot of, uh, you know, do a lot of uh, volume mm-hmm. productions, you that you want to fall. There's a tendency for people to fall into kind of like a formula, like right. this is how we do it. We mm-hmm. get. You know, we make this picture and we pick these songs and then it's up, you know, it's up tempo, up tempo ballad and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And you, you know, you put a little formula together and you go, and then that's how you make a show. Mm-hmm. But I, I've never done that. I, I'm very big on keying into an individual person's personality mm-hmm. and strengths and weaknesses. And yeah. like everybody is their own flavor. Everybody is the star of their own movie. And so... My shows are wildly, wildly different. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, like uh, one show that I'm very proud of that I've done over the last couple of years is I put together a show with a like a 32 year old woman who has autism, mm-hmm. who tells this, who tells the story of how the music of Disney uh, has drawn her out of her autism uh, isolation and helped her be a better communicator. And she's a fabulous singer. And so we do this show called Part of Your World because she relates to the Little Mermaid wanting to come up from out of the ocean. Yeah, yeah. And and tell that story. And then, you know, Lois with her Debbie Reynolds story. Or, uh, you know, I had one very queeny, funny comedian guy who had this wild background of a life of being a telephone psychic and a phone sex operator and Mm -hmm. a Beverly Hills shampoo boy and, you know, a million funny jobs. And we did a funny show by a guy named Paul Jasek. We did a funny show called Secrets of a Beverly Hills Shampoo Boy. And it was hilarious, okay. you know. But, but each of these shows could not be more different from each other, mm-hmm. you know. So it, it's, it's, it's understanding how to present a personality. Yeah, yeah. As uniquely as you can. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember, uh, my friend Jerome Elliott told me this, and I don't know that he, he got it from somebody else, but his quote, I think something like, um, the art of cabaret is being yourself on stage on purpose, or something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, the the essential the essential uh, motto of, of what acting is all about is being private in public. Right, you right. Know? Mm-hmm. Knowing how to like show intimacy in front of people. Yeah. So I know you also are a wonderful performer and singer. Now, do, do you have any? I know you do do we do produce shows and sometimes you do a couple songs. But do you have? Are you thinking about a show, your own show, coming up anytime soon? You know, I appreciate you asking. And you know, it's so I, it was so funny when I heard your promotions for you know what you wrote on Facebook and then what you said when the show started. Your this show today started. You said producer and singer, and it's like it's still sort of funny for me to to be identified as a singer. I, I began as a singer a million years ago in my early twenties. I was very serious about it and worked a lot. I have a brother who's very successful in the music business, so like right out of the gate, I was working with a band that like members from my band were like with Al Jarreau and mm-hmm. with Wind and Fire, and I mean I just had this all star band as you know as a twenty year old. Yeah. But, you know, in my late 20s, I sort of decided I liked behind the scenes better. And I've pursued that for the last 30, 40 years. And uh, it was only the last maybe 10 or so that I started to sing a little bit more myself because mm-hmm. I love it. I mm-hmm. just love doing it so much. Um, and, you know, this, these virtually yours things became a vehicle for me to uh, I, I deal myself into that deck. You know, uh-huh. I'm always a performer yeah. in these virtually yours things which uh, I'm not usually so uh-huh. 
I do love doing it. I, I don't consider it my front burner. And um, maybe someday I'll do my own whole thing. But mm-hmm. uh, it's it's the last thing on my mind yeah. for the most part. You know, if you like my songs in this most recent? Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to somebody else about this the other night. Um, I think... What I find fascinating, what I really love to see is performers, um, a lot of performers, friends that I know, especially when you get to a certain age, you get past 50, whatever, you, a lot of times we become, priorities change a little bit, become more spiritual, and you're still performing, but it's not all about ego, 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 you know, awards, 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 you know, it's applause, applause, applause. It's like that. Be, that's one piece of it, but then a lot of us go branch out into other things. You know, you produce, I write theater reviews, I do the show, I, I teach voiceover students. It's fun to have diversify and still keep your hand in the pot, but it's not about I want to be on stage 24 hours a day you know what I mean yeah exactly exactly I mean I, I get as much satisfaction out of all the other things that I do mm-hmm. that uh, it's not about just singing and yeah. when I was a singer you know when that was what I was trying to do in the world I was very high strung I was very nervous singer I was mm-hmm. very self-conscious singer and I, you know, I took it very seriously, and I mm. did well. But mm. um, I was a wreck. Yeah. I was always, you know, my it was life and death every time. And it's not worth it. Yeah, as, you know, I was super neurotic. And yeah, you know, one of the one of the nice things about this last thing we did last weekend is I, you know, I I chose songs that I just really wanted to sing. Each mm-hmm. one of them was connected to a story that I wanted to tell. Yes, and it just. It wasn't about me. It was yep. just like Michael. Let's let's make a pretty song. Yeah, and it was a whole different experience. Yeah, you know? uh, let's get this in. So virtually yours, you can find on YouTube. Tell them how to find it again, real quick. Uh, the title of it that you can look up is virtually yours. Michael Clifford, Bonnie, Glenn, Ava, and Charlotte. Okay, and, and, and I'm sure that if you put virtually yours, Michael Clifford, you'll get yeah, it. Yeah, you'll get it. And also, the the Debbie Reynolds show will be at the Arthur Newman Thanksgiving weekend that Sunday. Yes. Yes, November 28th, uh, three o'clock show. And I think it's uh, $15 cash at the door, I believe. Is that what I he's... I think that's it. I, I yeah. don't have it in front of me, but yeah. I believe so. I think that's it, yeah. Well, Clifford, I, I'm i so good, and I'm definitely working down the road. We are we on in the back burners someday. We're going to be doing this Dusty Springfield show um, that you're hopefully going to work on me with because I'm looking forward to that. But thank you so much for all of the, your... I you know, know, Bonnie, can I just tell you that yes. I, I think you are just so fabulous and talented and gorgeous, and I just love working with you. I really look forward to I hope we get to do that Dusty Sprinkle show that we've talked about together. Yes. And yes. I also want to tell you I watched the, I listened to the show from the beginning and I love Brian. He was hilarious. Okay. <laughs> okay. You. He's smiling. Okay. Clifford Bell, thank you so much. We love you. And thank- I love Amanda McBroom. I hear you have her on. Actually what she's gonna be next week, she's traveling, but we're gonna have her at some point. All right, love she's you. Great. Take care, Clifford Bell. Okay. All right. We'll be back with Bye. more on the Desert Scene in just a bit. musical theater to literature and all the other stuff we enjoy in between making desert life so vibrant you're listening to bonnie g and brian mendoza and the desert scene on radio 111 here's bonnie and brian 
So we have some updates about um, the Helena Hodgkin situation. I, I was going to save them for the next hour, but you know what? We're on that topic this hour. And you know what? It is. We have to it's talk big. about it. It's big. So tell updates. What do we got? Updates. So Peter Serza, uh, 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 the director of the film, has released a statement saying that she was a kind, bright, vibrant, incredibly talented fought for every inch and always pushed me to the best in regards to um, cinematographer. cinematographer. She's all, he's also said that he was gutted by the loss of his friend and that he, his thoughts are with the, with the family at the time. And Matt Hutchkins, Helena's husband has finally put out a statement. Uh, well, he put it out yesterday, but I did not, was not able to catch it until mm-hmm. recently. Cause you know the the news on this is very wild like i don't know how to put it but like there's some details i'm even learning and it's right and now. it's and it's changing all the time yeah. updating yeah yeah because some some i don't know because i don't know if you've seen it but like some segments will focus on alec baldwin some mm-hmm. segments will focus on her or some segments will focus on gun on safety on gun sets. Safety. yeah yeah and uh, it's just a lot so what does the husband say so she he posted a picture of um her with her uh, with their son I believe and it said Helena inspired us all with her passion and vision and her legacy is too meaningful to encapsulate in words our loss is enormous and we ask that the media please respect my family's privacy as we process our pain our grief uh, we thank everyone for sharing images and stories of her life Ugh. and Hutch and there have been a couple people expressing condolences you know a couple people in Hollywood but um uh, her team said in a joint statement yesterday, she decided early on she would take the craft of cinematography by storm. In the last couple of years, proved she was well on her way. Her talent was immense, only surpassed by the love she had for her family. All those in her orbit knew what was coming. A star director of photography uh, who would be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. And then someone said... Uh, Serza said this the director said he was humbled and grateful grateful by the outpouring of affection we have received from the filmmaking community the people of Santa Fe and the hundreds of strangers who have reached out and it's just uh, it's a thing where like the uh, the mentors of AFI are going to establish a scholarship to honor her memory and aspiring female cinematographers and That's great. The idea is that if you want to help her out, or not, not if you want to keep her memory alive, and her, I mean, that's a great legacy for her. Yeah, yeah. and the the idea is, please s- s- begin. If you are somebody that's thinking about sending some funds to a film related industry, I think the AFI Helena Hodgkins Fund send them there. Yeah. Send them there. But you know the that. That is uh, that is a tragedy. And for those of you who want to like see movies that Helena Hodgkins has done, she did an independent 2019 movie called Darling, directed by Pollyanna McNit- uh, McIntosh. It's considered a social issue um, horror film, and it's it's from what I've been told, it's a pretty good movie. I haven't seen it personally, but if you want to s- support, there's that, and also there's the movie arch enemy which came out in 2020 last year it's a independent superhero movie so quite a and it got some really good reviews so Mm -hmm. it seems so far that this that she was going down this path of making a lot of like independent experimental i think she was 42 i think i read somewhere 40 yes exactly 42 and you know that uh, that is a tragedy absolutely absolutely so i wanted to say again 
rest in peace to her <sighs> but that those are some updates um we'll bring them on as they come this, on this 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 is going to be a story for a while definitely yeah. yeah and i and i think that if anything um I'm curious of anything about what the family is going to do, and I just hope some changes are made. It's like you know, it's like it's like some cities that have there's a dangerous intersection, and they you know they have to have three fatal crashes before they put up a traffic light, you know. But I yeah. mean, better late than never. But it's just sad. And I think honestly, I I'm going to make a prediction. I'm I'm going to probably be wrong on this, so mm-hmm. most likely wrong. I think the Atsy strike. I think we might get another version of it coming up soon because this is a case where oh I wouldn't be surprised at all yeah I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if they if the um, the union looks at this and say you know what we went on strike for this before let's 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 talk again yeah. because clearly we're not working out and you know it's I know it sounds cliched but it's and it's, it applies to so many things <sighs> for it's some people it's just all about the almighty dollar. And you know what? That's really not the most important. Again, how many planes, jets can you have? How many yachts can you have? How many Lamborghinis can you drive? You know, money is not the answer to everything. It's really not, especially not to choose that over life and death and safety of your crew. And also, how many people How many people have to die on set? Until I mean, something gets changed, yeah. yeah. And also, I mean, it's one of those things where the Yahtzee... Um, Union had already talked about how exhausting it is, how overworked they and were. That they, these were and problems. Yeah. These were problems, COVID and all that. And I'll talk about it next hour, but yeah. there's a movie, a crew of a movie, a cast of a movie that recently had to be told not to go to any more events because of COVID. And I'll talk about that okay. next hour. Right. But okay, we got to keep our movie safe and we got to <sighs> keep people safe because... You know, What's more important? Yeah, and there's a reason why the theater world doesn't have these types of accidents. Okay. All right, so. we'll talk about that much more. We'll have some other great guests coming up next hour on The Desert Scene. We'll be back in a bit. architecture to painting and sculpture, literature to live music and theater. Radio 111 presents Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza with The Desert Scene, your connection to culture and entertainment in the desert cities. Here's Bonnie and Brian. And we are back on the desert scene, and we're now joined by another buddy of mine who's been on the show many times, David Perry, who's, a, first of all, a wonderful uh, author, has a best-selling book out, but is also a great PR guy, and there's a bunch of stuff going on. How are you doing, David? Well, ahoy, Bonnie. Thank you for that lovely introduction. I can retire now. <laughs> so um, you're involved in a bunch of stuff. I know Hed- Hedwig and the Angry Itch over at, at uh, Desert Rose Playhouse. Tell me tell me what's going on. And I mean, there's, the, things are starting to open up. We're trying to still be safe. But there's a lot of stuff cooking. So what's, what, what's going on? Well, there are. You know, the October, as you know, is always the season in Palm Springs. And because of post-COVID, we've been waiting a long time for a bunch of good stuff. The first thing, big deal, the first performance since COVID shut it down for Desart Performs next Wednesday, the 27th, for four shows only, Girlfriend. It's a musical. It's about two guys who fall in love in high school. And I keep saying to people, this is a unique experience because it's dinner and a show wonderful food provided by Lulu Catering. The cast, 
uh, Eddie Vanna and Kyle Hester are married. So we have two husbands playing boyfriends in a musical called Girlfriend. And I'm going to be their opening night at the Rancho Mirage Amphitheater. First outdoor performance for Desert Performs, a really big deal. Then in December, everyone's been asking me, is Asia SF Palm Springs coming back? And the answer is yes. They're already doing live events. They did the opening and closing show for the Dinah. And uh, sometime in December, I can't say the exact date yet, but you can take it to the bank. The lovely transgender ladies of Asia SF will be back on stage. And then, of course, the Purple Room, where Frank Sinatra and Dean and Sammy the Rat Pack first performed. They're doing so well, Mm -hmm. they are actually adding Monday shows starting in November. And the thing that I keep telling people about is don't miss November 5th and 6th, the premiere of Amanda McBroom, the composer, Triple Threat, who wrote The Rose. She's going to yes. be there for two shows only. Excellent. Yeah, and I, I love that song. I've, I've done that song a million times, Amanda McBroom. Yeah, so much going on. Let's go back to Asia. Uh, tell people, because some people may not be familiar with, with that. Um, and, and first of all, it was very successful other places, and right? And now they brought it, that concept here in Palm Springs. Tell us a little bit That's about right. it. That's right. Yeah, Asia SF is a cabaret dinner theater. Started in San Francisco over 20 years ago, wildly successful. Open Table has judged it one of the top 100 restaurants in the country. And so January 2020, Larry Hashbarger, the founder, brought it down here. It's dinner and a show, and all the performers are transgender women. So it's not just amazing entertainment with these incredible entertainers, but it really is about how you can be your authentic self. I mean, it is really not just about society it's about socialization. So it's come here to Palm Springs. It opened in January 2020 and closed six weeks later. You know, as a PR guy, I was so proud. Someone said, you did the biggest opening in 10 years. And I said, mm-hmm. yeah, then the biggest pandemic in 100. Shut it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Amanda McBroom, now, is this her first time at the Purple Room? You know, I want to say it is, but Mm -hmm. I'm not sure about that. I should know. It's Mm -hmm. sort of the first time in a long time. And I'm excited because in addition to, we actually represented her. About 12 years ago, she was at the Bay Area Cabaret in San Francisco. And I have represented dozens of performers over the years. Never lucky enough to represent you, unfortunately, Bonnie. But Amanda McBroon, some people call the greatest cabaret singer of her generation, also an actress. Since mm-hmm. I'm a sci-fi nut, I'm excited because she played a Starfleet captain on Star Trek once. <laughs> okay. Okay. Excellent. And by the way, you know, you mentioned um, the Purple Woman Mondays because two of my good friends are going to be starting Monday, November 8th, Charles Herrera and Keisha D. I'm doing a show with Charles Herrera right now. We opened last night at Desert, Desert Ensemble Theater Company, Reunited, and It Feels So Good was our concert fundraiser. It's oh, last night, tonight, and Sunday matinee. And Charles is in that. He's fabulous. And of course, Keisha D is fabulous. So they're going to be starting Amazing. Mondays. Mondays, November 8th. So that's going to be great. It is. You know, I mean, I, I I think I can join you in saying we're all ready to get back, you know, safely and do mm-hmm. what we need to do. But there certainly is pent up demand. I mean, yeah. I have been to the Purple Room several times since it reopened. And there's so many people there who dress up. It's one of the few places people yes. dress up to mm-hmm. go. It feels like you're stepping back into the Mad Men era. Yes, Absolutely. It's a one, and if you haven't been to the Purple Room, you really should check it out. I mean, there are um, there are national national names like Amanda Brun that come in on the weekends, but during the week there's some wonderful local entertainers where it's uh, not ticketed. I mean, they, I think there's a drink minimum, but um, so it'll be Charles Herrera and Chiquisha Dean uh, Mondays starting November eighth. Tuesdays Rose Millette, wonderful jazz singer, she's fabulous. Wednesday, Amazing. Wednesdays, my dear buddy Darcy Daniels and my friend Michael Holmes they do some Rat Pack music on Wednesday nights, and Thursdays. 
Sharon Sills. Va 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 boom. I mean, they've got such great entertainment there. It it does, and of course, on Sundays, the classic, the Judy, Judy show. show. With, you know, where else do you get to see Judy Garland, Betty Davis? Sometimes Joan Crawford and Tallulah Bankhead on stage all at the same time. I mean, it's, you know, it's life after death. I mean, it's an amazing show. And I keep telling people, if you think you can wait until the day before to get tickets, you can't. Think again. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I'm really pushing Amanda McBroom because she's going to sell out. And Mm -hmm. I am so excited she's coming back. I'm telling people, go to Mm purplerooppalmsprings.com right now and get your tickets for Amanda McBroom, November 5th and 6th. Yeah, and and Michael Holmes has become a really good friend of mine. And I I have not seen the Judy show yet, but I I promised him sometime in the next month when I, you know, schedules and budgets, I'm going to go see the Judy show. Now, let's talk about your book for just a second, uh, Upon upon This Rock. Uh, So... um, What's, what, what bestseller lists are you on now? Well, it is a legitimately a bestseller. Uh, it right now is at the Frankfurt Book Fair in Germany, which is the world's largest book fair. It's a five-day event in Germany, and they are trying to get the European rights for my book tr- to translate it into Italian. And right now we have someone who's turning it into a screenplay, Knockwood. We are trying to get an option for a film, but it won two awards. Best Gay Novel of the Year from the San Francisco book festival a big deal mm-hmm. and also a silver medal from the prestigious independent book publishers association i was just over at q trading on uh sunny dunes signing four more copies because all the ones they had sold out so it's a gay mystery thriller noir set in italy with two good-looking young heroes based on no one i know what what's not to like <laughs> and you know what it's so funny because when i read it i it, um oh probably a third of the way through i thought boy would this be a great movie so that absolutely should be a film. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. You know, uh, Armistead Maupin, the author of Tales of the City, has called it an elegant, twisty thriller. Fenton Johnson, best-selling author, called it the gay Da Vinci Code, but a lot better. And Jan Wall, who I know you know, Emmy Award-winning Hollywood reporter, says, I'm already casting the movie. So from your mouth to God's ears, hopefully it'll be on screen. And I'll get you in. And the next, when you want to come to see the Judy Show, Bonnie, I know the PR guy. Call me because uh, it's a hot ticket. Okay. Now, do you have ideas you must as an author? Uh, do you have ideas about casting for the book, your, your, your dream leads? I do, I do. There is a wonderful character in the book called Lady Peg, you know, who she's kind mm-hmm. of a, a bitchy gossip writer in Orvieto, Italy. Yeah. And I think Parker Holland, who was incredible <gasps> in yes. Hollywood, I think she would be brilliant. Yes. And also there's an elderly, actually a woman who's in her 90s, Italian baker, who here's, here's what my husband Alfredo Cazuso thought would be perfect because she's the right age now and she's Italian. Sophia Loren. Wow. Uh, and those are two of my two of my wish lists. So if you know Parker Holland or Sophia Loren, give them a call. Uh, unfortunately, I don't. How about the guys? How about a couple of the male uh, leads? Well, you know, that's, that's, that's harder for me. I would mm-hmm. love to know what you think because, you know, one is a 30-year-old guy from the South, uh, and the other is a 27-year-old gentleman from Spain. There's that wonderful actor in uh, from Spain who's been getting a lot of attention right now. Uh, Jan Wall mentioned him in a text to me, and I can't remember his name now. But one of your viewers or probably our listeners would know who I'm talking about. I've had lots of people texting me saying, what about this? What about this? Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm hoping we cast it soon. Keep your fingers crossed. I will. Absolutely. Are you, are you, 
Uh, oh, Brian has a question for you. No, I was going to say, I just recognized who our guest was because I was like, when I was, because I was so depressed about something earlier that I was like, I totally forgot. I was like, sorry, David. Sorry uh-huh. for not recognizing you. Hello. How are you doing? <laughs> but, I'm fine. Uh, how are you? I'm Have doing... you read the book yet? No, I'm actually in the middle of it. I actually was reading it and I was, I, the only reason I had to put it down was because like, um, I have to read something for, for class for, <laughs> you know, for university. So I was like, oh, I really want to read this instead. I don't want to read, um, I don't. We'll, we'll, we'll. I don't want to read Christopher Columbus. That's literally what I had to read. Yeah. I, I got it. I got it. Well, <laughs> it's a mystery. I'm not going to give it away, but I will break a little bit of news, uh, Bonnie. People yes. have been asking me, "Is there a sequel?" The answer is yes. The, the Upon This Rock is set in Italy, but the sequel starts in Palm Springs and includes a small town in Spain and then a little bit aboard ship. So there is a definite Palm Springs connection to the next book, which I've just begun working on. And I was just going to ask you if you were writing something else. That's fabulous. I was going to ask you, just out of curiosity, because I know there's been a lot of discourse about uh, gay actors and gay roles. I was going to say, do you have a preference for gay actors to play the parts, the male parts in your story? Just because I'm I'm just curious if you have a preference Would it matter to you? It wouldn't matter to me. And I, you know, I have heard both sides of the issue. To me, what's important is someone who resonates with the role. And mm-hmm. as a gay man who's about to celebrate a big birthday with a zero on the end, 60, mm-hmm. I'll just admit it, November 1st is my 60th birthday. Happy birthday. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. You know, when I was a young person, the idea that an actor could play uh, any role and be out gay was not wise and not smart and sometimes dangerous. So all I want is someone who thinks that these characters are important, have something to say. The theme of the book is refugees. In a sense, we're all refugees from something. I want actors and actresses who, one, are, if they're not LGBTQ, they are allies of the LGBT community. That's all I want. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, I just popped into my head. I was trying to think of his name. You mentioned, I mean, it's been a while since I've read the book, um, and it was fabulous, uh, the, but we said one guy, it's Southern, right? What about, yep. in 30s, what about Edward Norton? Oh, of course, yes. That would be perfect. Okay. I think he'd be great. Okay. And, you know, the one person that sadly is not alive, when I was mm-hmm. writing the books, and there's the evil bishop in the book, as you know, mm-hmm. in my brain, I had Alan Rickman. Oh, snake in yes. all the Harry Potter series. Oh, yeah. Yes. For the, for the evil bishop, I need someone like Alan Rickman. That's oh. who I would I, yeah. I don't know if the age matters, but Jeremy Irons, maybe? Like, I was thinking oh. about that because Jeremy Irons is kind of like Alan Rickman-esque. A little you more know, re- I, refined, I, reserved, but maybe. Yeah. yeah. I am ashamed to say I hadn't thought of that. You know, him playing the Pope in the Borgia series, chewing up the scenery, mm-hmm. you know, killing people left yeah, and right. Yeah. This is perfect <laughs> for Bishop yeah. yeah. That's a great idea. Wow. So do you have a, uh, I know it's a pressure on, do you have a, a, a target date for when you're hoping to finish the sequel? Uh, well, it, like I said, I've barely just started, okay. but my goal is to have the first draft done by the middle of next year. I have the plot already in my brain, so we, we are actively working on it, and uh, I'm really excited. Excellent. The book is doing well. We're going to be doing a reading in December here at PS Homeboys, another live reading and book signing. Okay. I'm also doing an event for my friends who will be in San Francisco uh, in November at Manny's in the Mission, and I've done a bunch of virtual readings, so... It, it's going well, knock wood. Fabulous. And, so, and and again, so much coming up here. First performance, Desert, the girlfriend outside at the Am- Ranch Homage Amphitheater, then Asia SF, then also Amanda McBroom at the Purple Room, uh, November 5th and 6th. So much going on. Thank you, David Perry, for being here as always. Continued success with your novel, and thanks for uh, supporting and promoting so much great stuff in the desert. 
you great. We'll see you on stage. Okay. Bye. Thank you, David. All right. And don't forget to buy David's book on upon, Amazon. Upon This Rock. Upon yes. This Rock by David Perry. It's available where books are sold. Fabulous. So support, support is a great book. All right. We'll be back with more in just a bit. likes to read she likes to sing and act they both love the coachella valley and they love talking about the desert scene with you on radio 111 here's bonnie g and brian mendoza we got a couple celebrity deaths to coming up and uh, as much this is kind of becoming the death and despair show sadly <clears> but <throat> well you know we, we'll mix it up a little. we'll mix it up of course <clears throat> of course uh, laurie von tramp campbell of the original sound of music family the von trapp family singers has passed away at 90 years old the von trapps are well the basis for the original yeah, film mm-hmm. and musical show the sound of sound music, music a yep. family that sung together that it was a mixed family a nun that came in to be uh, the baron uh, the nanny the baroness, nanny whatever yeah. the nanny for the these kids for these kids and overall they escaped germany and it wasn't through the hills it was just simply taking a bus it was funny because it, it looks better in the movie to oh climb yeah. over the mountain yeah oh yeah and overall the family for the most part has been living a fairly lived a fairly successful life mm-hmm. because you know they just they sang, still kept their music kept yeah. singing yeah. and all that i have heard people say that they're really good singers live that the real family is actually mm-hmm. really good mm-hmm. so you know and Lori von trapp she passed away pretty recently at 90. Yeah. And at I 90, that's a good life. That's, that's a, a good, good life. life. Yeah. It's, it's so much history. So yeah, much oh history my gosh, there. amazing, yeah. Um, Peter Scolari, though, Bosom Buddies, 66, way too young. It was cancer, wasn't it, I think? I believe so. I, I mostly know him from um, episodes of the New Heart show. Mm-hmm. That I, I, I remember saw. him, yeah, from that. Yeah. From, that's mostly it. I mean, I also remembered him. He actually won an Emmy for playing tad uh horvath on girls that's where i know him as I, okay. I know him as the closeted gay dad of um hannah horvath on girls okay and i gotta say it was a really sweet performance when i saw it and so for me like he he really was possibly um one of the better aspects of that show because that show was i was never good. saw girls okay um i don't know if i, I don't know if you would like girls just because okay. girls is one of those shows that's very like it's very calm and outrageous in a way that you might not like okay. it. I, I, okay. For you, I want to recommend it, but for okay. our audience, it's a good show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. like, I know, I know you. Uh-huh. I was gonna okay. leukemia. He passed away from leukemia in uh. Manhattan at age sixty-six, and he actually had been diagnosed two years earlier. So what a shame! And yeah. he has been he for the most part. He's mostly been a TV actor, but he was also on the Polar Express in the movie the polar express as billy the lonely boy so there is 
So he's had quite a career. And also, the, and I'm not familiar with this gentleman, Gary Paulson, author of Hatchet, was died at 82. I'm yeah. not familiar with either Hatchet or him. Oh, Hatchet's is really, pre- it's a pretty good book. For the okay. most part, it's a, uh, Hatchet is a young adult novel. It's a survival book about this young boy that is going through a rough time and he's trying to survive out in the woods, basically. Okay. And it was the basis of a movie called A Cry in the Wild. It's... Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's... Also, I think it also got made. It got some sequels. I was trying to say, like, did it get another movie? No, it's Cry in the Wild. But Hatchet was such a big success, and most of the, most people know if of a certain age demographic, like after nineteen ninety, a lot of kids grew up with that book. Like, okay. so if you're not familiar with it, I'm not, uh, don't be. Don't feel don't bad. Don't be enough. embarrassed. Don't okay. be embarrassed, no, because it is one of those. It's a seminal novel for a group, and. Okay. Uh, uh, Gary Paulson, you know, rest in peace, all three of them. And again, a lot, a lot going on in terms of that. And can we just talk for a moment about because this is interesting? Someone is trying to ban Toni Morrison's books from schools as being pornographic. Oh yeah. So if you ha- have you ever read um, Beloved or any of those books? I read, uh, you know, I read part of Beloved and I just never finished it. But I, yeah, I mean, I think some of it's a little uh, raw, I guess, when you're talking about her life and things that happened. So. It's funny because Hatchet's actually been, they've been trying to ban that book too because of how rough it is. But so basically what happened was that the Daily Beast reported that this woman, Victoria Manning of the Virginia Beach School Board said that they sent an email saying that she was that base demanding that several pornographic books be removed from the circulation in the school's curriculum because she feels that some parents might find Toni Morrison's beloved disturbing. Now, of course, there is an argument to be made if cho- if, a, if teenagers could really respect Beloved mm-hmm. as a novel. Like, I, I don't know if Beloved is necessarily like the best novel to read at 13. I think of it as a novel for 16, 17 year olds. A little older, yeah. Little, yeah, little yeah. Older. So there is an argument about that part of the curriculum. I don't think the book itself is pornographic. Mm-hmm. She said that she pretty much demanded that the people who approved the book be suspended and oh, disciplined. Please. Oh, please. She also added in the list Gender Queer by Maya Kobani, uh, A Lesson Before Dying by Ernest Gaines, The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison as well. And she also took wanted to take out Lawn Boy by Jonathan Neveson, a, a story about a young Chicano boy trying to achieve the American dream. So to me... It seems she. It's to me. It seems like she wants a certain kind of author. Absolutely, that's what I was just thinking. She wants yep. a certain kind of author and certain kind of books, instead of books that, quite frankly, I think a lot of kids could connect with, because you know what, you know, not all your students are a certain. And, type. I mean, I understand something being age appropriate. Yes, that's fine. If you want to make yes, it agreed. age appropriate, but that's different from banning something and censoring or punishing somebody. That, you know, here's the thing. Education is not always supposed to be comfortable. No, you're right. That's not what education is. And also, I mean, sure, and even age appropriate, it could be like, what age can a ch- can a teenager appreciate a yeah, work as I opposed mean, to like? Because I think a teenager can love Beloved in the Bluest Sight. It's just which, how old can they be? Like, are they mature enough to appreciate it as art? And you're sp- part of education is learning how to think for yourself. Yes. And also not trying to push your own agenda on everybody else. Yeah. And you know what? 
We have guests coming up. Yes. All right. We're going to talk to uh, Chuck Yates in just a bit on the desert scene. We'll be right back. Bonnie and Brian continue with the desert scene on Radio 111. Here they are. And we're back on the desert scene. And now we're joined by another friend of mine, just a great guest today, Chuck Yates, who is directing the next production at Desert Rose Playhouse, uh, Hedwig and the Angry Itch. Hey, Chuck, how are you? Bonnie, I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good, good. So this is exciting. So tell us how this came about. And uh, uh, so you've started rehearsals already, I'm imagining. Yes, we, we have. We actually going to tech next week. So uh, we're getting we're getting close. So, so for people who don't know, I actually saw this in San Diego with uh, some, fr- some friends a couple years back. Tell people a little bit about the story of the show. Um, Hedwig and the Angry Inch is, uh, the, I was interested in it because uh, I had seen it, and it's a, it's a different kind of show. It's, mm-hmm. it's sort of a rock opera kind yeah. of, uh, rock show kind of uh, play, and it's about a, a an East German um, uh, transsexual uh, rock singer, punk singer, and... Um, it's it's got so many layers to it. It's mm-hmm. like an onion. I'm, yeah. I'm in rehearsals, and every day we like find something new, and yeah. it's just such a, a such an exciting process for me. It's it's mm-hmm. completely different than anything else I've done. So that was uh, the big drawing point for me when when they asked me, mm-hmm. and um, I'm having a blast, man. Good. I'm having a blast. Were you now? Were you surprised to get the offer? Um, I've been surprised by so many things <laughs> in the in the past eighteen months, yeah. nineteen months, whatever. You know, uh, closing Coyote Stageworks was a uh, was an interesting um, uh, period of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, listen, Robbie and Matt over at the Desert Rose. I mean, when they heard that we were closing, Robbie called me and he said, "Look at the schedule. Anything you want to direct." Uh, let me know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. I said, I think I'm moving out of the desert. So I don't know what's happening in my life at the moment. Yeah. And then I decided not to do that. And mm-hmm. I asked him, uh, I asked him about Hedwig and mm-hmm. he said, it's yours if you want it. And I wow. was like, great. That's fabulous. So tell us about the the two leads starring Nicholas Sloan and Jamie Lee Walker. So t- tell us a little bit about them and the, and the casting process. Uh, well, first of all, um, Nicholas and um, Robbie had been talking about Hedwig way before I was involved. Mm-hmm. But so when Robbie told me it was Nicholas and Jamie, I had actually uh, worked with Nicholas before on one of our, uh, uh, at Coyote, one of our play reading series. And mm-hmm. he did an Edward Albee play that uh, I loved. <laughs> and I had directed that. And he ended up winning, you know, a Desert Star for that reading. And mm-hmm. Listen, Jamie and and Nick are they have come into rehearsals and they have so many ideas. They are so easy to work with. It mm-hmm. makes my job so much easier than um, in some other cases, you know, uh, but they came in prepared and they are rocking this. Yeah. Yeah. And now tell us about uh, have you directed a, a lot of musicals in the past? I mean, you know, it's a lot of. I- I have not. Okay. I, I, you know, I mostly direct plays yeah. and, you know, I, I love the text and, 
and I love uh, delving into the text. Mm-hmm. But the story of Hedwig was so interesting, and it was in and telling that story and making sure that that story comes through clearly with the music was what made it uh, very intriguing to me. So uh, this is this is a. This is a fun time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and I'm looking at you, have your musicians. So do you have, are your musicians sort of co-musically directing with you? Or are you feel confident enough as your, of yourself as sort of a musical director as well? Uh, well, we have Constance Gordy who has come in. Oh, she's she fabulous. Has, yes. Yeah, she kind of, she's come in and she's uh, helped with the harmonies and, okay. and uh, all of that kind of stuff. And the band, uh, it's Margel, uh, Miguel Arbello's band, and um, we heard them for the first time last week, and I got so excited because these guys know what they're doing. Excellent. And, um, you know, because this, this is not like, you know, a Stephen Sondheim musical. No. This is not like... Rodgers and Hammerstein. This mm-hmm. is like, uh, you know, a full-on rock. rock band on stage. Yeah. And these guys are killing it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So tell me about, um, is this kind of like the, I know you've gone through a metamorphosis the last 18 months, you know, closing Coyote and that. Is this like kind of the, the sort of the perfect, th- came along at the perfect time in your life, in your creative life, uh, to have this, this opportunity? Um, yeah, it did, actually, because, you know, uh, when, when we closed Coyote back in June, um, I really, I didn't know what was next. Mm-hmm. I, I, I seriously did not know what was next. And like I said, I was planning on moving away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I decided against that. But, uh, um, yeah, Robbie and Matt's invitation to kind of do whatever I wanted was, uh, was great because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm having my own theater company for the past 14 years, um, you know, I, I, I got to do what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. And, and so, you know, that's, that's a lot to let go of. Yes. But, uh, these guys have been so welcoming and so great. And, um, so yeah, I just said to them, I said, I, I, I went to Europe, uh, mm-hmm. um, back in September and I just, uh, I said, yes, I will do it. I'm going to Europe. We will talk when I get back. And um, that's what we did. <laughs> now, so do you, um, right now, are you kind of playing it by ear? Or do you have sort of a step-by-step plan on what you see as the future in the next couple of years? Um, my deal with myself was when, um, when, uh, like I said, I packed up like three fifths of my apartment mm-hmm. and then decided I wasn't moving. And then um, my deal with myself was I accepted uh, Hedwig and I'm going, to, I was going to Europe and I was like, I'll deal with this all when I get back. I mm-hmm. need to go. I need yeah. a vacation. I need yeah. to go see my boyfriend who yeah. lives in Belgium and we haven't been able to see each other in so long because mm-hmm. of COVID. Yeah. And my deal was I, I'm just going to deal with it all when I get back. Mm-hmm. And in that, uh, I, I uh, talked to David Green at MTU, where I've been teaching for seven years, and I told him I was not moving. So uh, he said, he said uh, I have not filled your job, so please come mm-hmm. back. And on top of that, um, I'm going to be directing, I think in February, um, 
a production of The Glass Menagerie for mm. MTU. Okay. Which which is one of my all-time favorite plays. Mm. And um, Joyce Bullifant is going to play the mother. Oh, that's great. With, oh, that's great. With, uh, with students playing her son and daughter and uh, the gentleman caller. Oh, that's great. So that's going to be a very fun, interesting uh little exercise and uh like i said i think that's in february mm-hmm. but uh he asked me if i wanted to do that and i was like yes yeah. so you know i went to yeah. europe knowing that i had i was still teaching and i had yeah. two shows to direct and there we'll go, go from there now Did, brian has a question <laughs> i was gonna say i wanted to ask you specifically about the play now like i know that this uh musical i was gonna say play my bad musical has had a lot of discourse on how it depicts gender dynamics gender roles gender performance and i wanted to see was there any temptation on your end to update it or to change what's already different from the established text how does your version commentate on the discourse if it does at all how does hedwig's gender get presented in your version of the show well, it is, um, first of all, uh, legally, we can't really change the text. Mm-hmm. Um, that requires uh, the playwright and uh, the person who wrote the music to change that. We, we can't change that. Um, we are just trying to present uh, Hedwig, the character, as a person with their circumstances. Uh, it is not a generalization of everybody else's circumstances. It's It's particularly Hedwig's circumstances. And it's his story, her her story, their story. And, um, you know, that's, that's where we're jumping off from. And it was just, it was just uh, done on Broadway a few years ago with Neil Patrick Harris. And I think the story holds up again. It's not a generalization of every transgender person's story. It happens to just be Hedwig's story. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the most interesting... I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> no, I, it makes sense. It makes sense because I was going to say, oh, that is true. How silly of me. Like, of course you can't change the text, but I think that there's always, like, casting decisions that are always interesting. Like, Ali Sheedy played this part one time on Broadway, I believe, and it was such oh, a... Oh, she did? Yeah, she played Hedwig wow. on Broadway I one time. I didn't know that. She played, she played Hedwig off-Broadway yeah. in the original production back about 20 years ago or mm-hmm. whenever it was. Uh, yeah, the when John Cameron Mitchell left, uh, Ali Sheedy was one of the ones who came in and kept it going. But, Interesting. Uh, there is all kinds of ways to uh, to cast this. Again, um, I was handed a cast, which I'm very happy with because uh, I think Nick and Jamie are absolutely terrific. But yes, there's all kinds of things you can do with the casting with this, and. Um, it, you know, uh, and it's it's open to interpretation. Uh, that's interesting. You just mentioned as a director, you lucked out this time. I know uh, directors in general are not thrilled about the concept of someone handing them a cast, right? They don't want to pick their own people. Have you have has this? Have you had any other? Uh, when you own your own theater company, you can do whatever you want. But have you ever had another situation where you were handed a cast where it didn't work out so well? Um. No, actually, um, I would say uh, I have, I had some casting decisions in my own company. <clears throat> Excuse me, I had some casting, which I made the casting decisions. I had some casting decisions in my own company that, uh, you know, if I had to go back and do it again. It could change, yeah. Again. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, but, you know, uh, 
Robbie said, you know, that Nick and Jamie were doing it. And as I said, I had worked with them before. So I, I had worked with Nick before. So I knew that he's a very dedicated and talented person. And Mm -hmm. then Jamie is also. And so I wasn't really worried about it. Mm -hmm. If, If I had gone to Europe being told that there's two people in the cast that I didn't know mm-hmm. it might have been a different story. story. Like, yeah. I don't know them. I've never worked with them. And yeah. it, it could be, you know, it could be, uh, you know, uh, an issue, but yeah. it was not an issue. I left knowing that uh, Nick and Jamie would come to the table really prepared. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. All right. Chuck Yates is directing Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I think I misspoke and said itch earlier. Inch, the Angry Inch. Uh, <laughs> Nicholas Sloan and Jamie Lee Walker and a great band and Constance Gordy helping out with the music. Um, by the way, uh, the run is November 4th through November 21st. Desert Road Playhouse, which is now at 611 South Palm Canyon Drive, Thursday through Sunday. Uh, 7 p.m. Friday and Saturday, 8 p.m. Sunday, 2 p.m. Uh, tickets, uh, you can go to www.desertroseplayhouse.org or the box office is 760-202-3000. And if you haven't been to Desert Rose's new home, you got to check it out. They've done such a great job with that theater it's space. so beautiful. Yeah. yeah, they've done a really good job. Yeah. Well, Chuck, congratulations, and I'm looking forward to seeing the show, and I'm glad you decided to stay in town. That's great. Ah, thank uh. you. Oh, I just want to add that there is no show on Sunday the first Sunday, which is Gay Pride Parade Day. Okay. All right. Good to know. Okay. All right, Chuck Gates, thank you so much. Congratulations. We'll be back with more on the desert scene in a bit. Desert Scene on Radio 111. Cultural events and the people who make it happen in the desert cities with Bonnie G and Brian Mendoza. And we're back on the desert scene. I want to just mention real quick, I am doing a show this weekend uh, for the Desert Ensemble Theater Company at the Palm Springs Cultural Center. Season 11 scholarship benefit concerts called Reunited and It Feels So Good with Darcy Daniels, Charles Herrera, Jerome Elliott, and Joel Baker on piano. And we had opening night last night, which was fabulous. We have a show tonight, 7 p.m. and tomorrow, 2 p.m. You can get tickets. Uh, you can call 760-565-2476, Palm Springs Cultural Center. It's really DesertEnsembleTheater.org. It's really a very fun, warm, uplifting musical show. I'm so excited to be part of it, and I hope that you'll check it out. If I wasn't so busy with school, I'd go see you, but I... I'm <laughs> I know you got close. stuff going on. It's okay. I was going to say, also, I wanted to plug in that on in Pond Springs on Arena Street, October 31st, Sunday, there's going to be a Halloween event. Of course, there's a backstage pass there that's $75. Not bad, not bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get an open bar, but you also get to have, I think, backstage access to all these singers. They have Debbie Holiday, Brian Justin Crum, Probe 7, Andrew Christian Fashion Show, Pulp Vic, uh, Vixen, that's a good name, mm-hmm. DJ Galaxy, and MCs. Bella DeBall and Alexander Rodriguez with DJ Zareen. It's a there's a tea dance from four to six and six to ten with live music and eight p.m. for a costume contest and you get to win a thousand five hundred. So if you got a good Sounds costume, yeah. go there. Yeah. So we got. I was gonna say, do you want to do 
Do you, if you don't have anything else, do you want to do pop culture? Sure. Pop culture. Yes. Today in pop culture. Yes. So, yes. On October, what day is this one? October twenty second, which was yesterday. Well, maybe if you're listening to this later, it wasn't yesterday. But October twenty second. We're live today. Yeah. We're live today. But um, the Supremes was the first all women music group to make it at number one on in nineteen sixty six October twenty second. Good for them. And. I think the song was called A Go Go Together. Oh, wait. Okay. I think that was the song. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. That And they were the first one, and they still hold the record for the most successful, America's most successful vocal group. Wow. Okay. And on October, this was actually, I guess this is now pop culture n- history now. Okay. October 22nd, 2020, due to the coronavirus pandemic, the department store chain Macy's announced on this day in 2020 that Santa Claus would not be making any appearances. The first time uh, that a hun- ever, ever, ever Macy's. Yeah. And it was 159 year tra- holiday tradition. That was so sad. And so it en- it was ended. And so is he coming back this year? I believe so. I oh, feel like I it's so. one of those things where. Um, wear a mask. He can wear, wear a mask. mask. The kids wear can a, wear a mask. Wear yeah. a mask and all that. I think there were. I've seen photos. I don't know if you saw, but like photos of like a glass. There'd be like a glass, Behind a glass, glass or whatever, and yeah. all that. And I think there are ways to protect. And then they should do it because kids want to see Santa. <laughs> <laughs> and they also said that. Uh, that same year, I think it was also like Santa Claus making virtual engagements. But I think. The sad thing is that there's so many kids that that was their last year with Santa. But but on October 23rd, 1941, Dumbo premiered on the big screen. I love Dumbo. (laughs) He's so cute with his big ears. Dumbo's one of of my favorite Disney movies. And Dumbo was actually a big success for the Disney company because at that time, Dumbo was the cheapest of the original six films, the first six films. And... It actually was the first one, other than Snow White, to earn back its money the first time. Pinocchio, I Fantasia, didn't they? Didn't, wow. but believe it or not, they did. They did become more successful. Like Fantasia Pinoc- is. If you have never seen Fantasia, you really owe it to yourself to see it because it's fabulous. Oh yeah, and yeah. I think that one's on Disney Plus right yeah. now. So go and watch it because if you so fun and just well done. And also, if you're a musical snob, you know you owe it to your. You're not. You know, don't don't walk around being a snob if you've yeah. never seen Fantasia. Uh, it's really. <laughs> it's a great piece of animated filmmaking. Just uh, great. And overall, like dumb and Dumbo being the first one made it to where a Disney company was more successful during the war years because Fantasia and Pinocchio, even though they became way more popular later on, they didn't make a lot of, a lot of money in the beginning yeah. and it okay. happens you know yeah so surprisingly and it doesn't even matter because they're so much more successful but uh in 1969 on october 24th which is tomorrow butch cassidy and the sundance kid wow premiered premiered yes wow in Great 1969 movie. and that movie i would definitely say is one of those um it's a big it was a big deal because of how like it modernized like the Western genre. Yeah. And great buddy movie, guy buddy movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it just was this wild, fantastic movie. And like looking back at it, it may be a little bit slower now, but when it came out, it was fast paced. It was mm-hmm. rough. It was yeah. strong little yeah. film. And then on uh in in 1893, the Good and Plenty Day. It was called and it was this 
that there was a celebration called Good and Plenty Day. It's basically like it was the history of the licorice candy coated with the pink and white candy shell, which is the oldest candy in the world in American history. I don't know. I forget. I don't what like licorice. I'm not a licorice fan. So this is what it looks like. Looks yeah. like pills. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is probably not smart when you're talking about kids, because then kids can't determine, distinguish between pills and candy. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was a day celebrating yeah, for that. Yeah. So that's our pop culture yeah. stuff. All right. Thank you so much to our guests today, uh, Chuck Yates, David Perry, Clifford Bell, all good friends of mine and wonderfully talented people. Woo-hoo. And um, we'll be keeping you updated on this Alec Baldwin shooting thing because it's not over. No. Yeah. And rest in peace, uh, Helena yeah. yes. Hutchins. Tragedy. This. So much to talk about. How much? Hopefully, it will bring about some change. That's what we're going to hope for. Hopefully, but we'll see you next week. See you next week.